listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharma, an innovative player in the U.S. generics marketplace, has partnered with the Pharmacy Podcast Network to educate and build a network of pharmacists about non-scheduled, non-controlled prescription alternatives for pain management. We encourage feedback in establishing new connections with pharmacy care providers. Learn more at uralpharma.com. That's Y-A-R-A-L pharma.com. Hey, this is an exciting time here at Pharmacy Podcast Network as we continue to expand on content. It's designed by providers for providers. We have so many pharmacists who are now participating. We even have pharmacy technicians who are playing a part in uh, the evolution of pharmacy care. And part of our pharmacy care attention is being able to bring subject matter experts to different themes that we're talking about. So we're glad that you're listening in today to this podcast series, and we're going to be diving into a conversation with a dynamic newcomer to the United States generic marketplace, Ural Pharma. This episode is going to unveil the company's commitment to delivering high-quality authorized generics to the the country, uh, across the, the nation, a spectrum of therapeutic areas, specifically pain, which is interesting because we have podcasts that are dedicated to pain. A shout out to the pain guy, who does an ongoing podcast about pain. But I would like to introduce and welcome uh, Mr. Stephen Beckman to our Pharmacy Podcast Network um, team, uh, subject matter expertise that you bring and your team brings. Stephen, welcome to the show. Well, Todd, thank you for having me. Um, It's really exciting to be a part of uh, this discussion and what we're doing at URAL. Just maybe to highlight a couple key initial points about who the company is. So, Ural Pharma is the U.S. generic subsidiary of IPSA, which is a multinational pharmaceutical company based in uh, and headquartered in Lugano, Switzerland. The IPSA organization has actually been around for almost 50 years, and they've had both um, the quality and commitment to, to the products that they, they manufacture and then sell around the world. Um, about five years ago, IPSA expanded into the U.S., and they started with the brand business with Ipsa USA um, as part of its overall growth and commitment uh, to uh, expanding in the U.S. That's strategic a decision was made is how do we do that? And one of the things was to add a complementary business, uh, uh, which was uh, the generics division or URAL, uh, which we established uh, in 2022, uh, where we spent most of the time building up the business. And then in 23, we're very excited to launch our first product in in uh, in January of this past year. Uh, URAL actually now represents, I think, 18 uh, subs- commercial subsidiaries around the world for IPSA, which is an exciting transformation for the company since uh, traditionally it's been a more of a developer of uh, products and then looking for distributor partners. And over these last number of years, have actually built that uh, commercial infrastructure uh, in US, Europe, and some other markets around the world. Excellent. So I always like to hear the preface of people's stories. Every time we have a pharmacist that comes on to one of the shows like This Week in Pharmacy something, we always want to know what that starting point was. Um, and with you, Stephen, what inspired the establishment of Ural Pharma and its focus on the generic um, pharmaceutical market? 
Well, you know, I, I don't know if everybody knows the statistics, but over 90% of all prescriptions in the United States are now filled generically. And it's just not your common oral solid products, your commodity products that we see in many markets, but it's also now complex products, uh, injectables and other nations. And that's really where IPSA has a very strong uh, background. Um, I think uh, if somebody was to ask the, the owner of IPSA or the leadership there, they, it's always about the concept of taking good products and making them better. And as a result of that, they have uh, developed themselves into a very strong leadership position over the years. Uh, and as a result, that's kind of transformed out into uh, this new commercial uh, ecostructure that the company has. And that's what really excited to me because at the end of the day, uh, our job first and foremost is to help patients, right? And to do that, we have to work very closely uh, with physicians on the brand side, not so much on the generic side, but on the generic side, pharmacists become really, really important. And ultimately, our goal is to make sure that patients can uh, have these products so they can be compliant and and drive better patient outcome. So that's really one of the pillars, I think, around um IPSA and, and how that translates out to any of its subsidiaries, uh, and in particular, uh, URAL, we want to carry that. We're just going to do it in a slightly different pathway than the rest of the subsidiaries, as we're the only generic uh, division in the company. Excellent. So it's been a while. It's not like you're a brand new organization, um, but you're You've been in this industry. Um, I know you have uh, been in the pharmaceutical industry a, a long time. But what excites you most about leading your off farm? Well, I think with uh, yeah, I have been in in the industry a long time, of thirty plus years. The unfortunately, the the hair shows <laughs> it, uh, or the hairline, or lack of hairline. Um, but when you're in this uh, business, one of the, the the things that's really exciting is, as I said earlier, we're here to help patients, and one of the things uh, in, in part of that ongoing process is to bring new products, if there are new chemical entities like on the brand side, but on the generic side, it's how we make products better. How does that then translate to better outcome for patients? And one of the unique things about joining URAL and being a part of the great team that we've uh, we've built is that we don't have any history of that, right? We don't have any of the historic pedigree of what generics has gone through. We have the knowledge of it because we've worked in the industry, but what we have to do is we have more of a platform that allows us to take us forward in a way that allows us to think about what really needs to be achieved versus what we've how we've done it so mm -hmm. it's kind of having like a white piece a piece of paper and actually building around the core portfolio technologies and strengths of manufacturing and certain form factors the companies have leadership position and and this and how do we uh, build a, a portfolio business that can um, take advantage of that and then have that translate to patients in a benefit in a beneficial way All right. So the United States generic market is it's a crowded place. It's a it's a lot of competition out there. Um, how does Ural Pharma differentiate itself from other players in the generic pharmaceutical markets? Well, you know, that's probably the the billion dollar question now in today's industry, because when you look at generics, generics, our industry is not always considered a growth market anymore. Uh, there's a, a great influx of, of of suppliers from around the world, as you know, um, and that creates both good and bad challenges um, because obviously, you know, quality of product is important, um, uh, consistency of supply, obviously uh, bringing product at a right price. I always like to say it's not trying to per se 
ultimately achieve the best price, but the right price. I mean, that you're ensuring that you're getting companies that can continue to produce products at a high level, at a high quality, but bands of delivering uh, medicine at an affordable and accessible way to patients. So, um, so the, the thing that's going to be unique for a lot of generic companies, and I think we're kind of built foundationally based on the history of who IPSA is, is uh, we're moving into those more complex products, you know, drug device combinations, products that are hard to make. Um, so being able to serve is potentially a number of different areas, uh, uh, drug shortages, for example, yep. uh, where some companies won't put into it, or taking a product that maybe not have the, the most margin where some companies are getting out of that and making sure that we we still supply the market for those patients that need those products, but ultimately is continuing to strive on making those products better. And that's really the platform. And I think that fundamentally what sets Ipsa apart, and then that translates right down to hopefully what Ural can do, which is that we're not intending to be a commodity uh, product company. So uh, I always use the the, the, the statement that um, historically generic companies, the, the strategy was the most marbles won, right? The bigger the portfolio, the better, right? Yep. Um, I think we've uh, evolved in the industry with where we are now to it's not the most marbles, but it's the the best marbles or the right marbles. And I think we are looking to create a portfolio that's not going to be thousands of products, but we're going to hopefully have uh, a, a portfolio that builds over time. Um, but are going to be good products that meet needs in the marketplace. So hopefully what we're, we're striving to is having the right marbles. Excellent. Excellent. I like that analogy that, that makes sense. So you have a, a vision not only to what is today in some of the products that uh, URL has helped to deliver to the market, but you also have um, understanding of other things that are happening. So I think this is a good resource of information for our pharmacists. What products should pharmacists who are listening to the programming today, which, who, what should they be on the lookout for? In terms of new products or products that we currently have? Um, I think both because I, I want to hear from IPSA and, and URL specifically, but also what are you seeing out there as a CEO of a, of a pharma manufacturing company? Well, I, I mean, that's a really uh, broad question from a standpoint if pharmacists needs to be looking at a lot of things. I mean, one of the things we know as a, as a manufacturer is the, the challenges that pharmacists have mm -hmm. in terms of um, uh, cost and how they deliver to their patients, yep. especially independent pharmacies. Um, and so one of the things that we're looking at independent of products real quick is new solutions. How can we work with pharmacists in programs, uh, that allow them to continue to be such an important caregiver to patients? Um, especially independent pharmacy, in many cases, they are the primary, uh, uh, medical professional in many respects because they can't, you know, patients can't get to their physicians maybe as easy. So that's one of the areas we, that they should look at for us. And, and that's one of the reasons why we're actually here on this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, traditionally generic companies don't do promotion and, right. um, and there's reasons for that. But, you know, we, we do want to try to be a little different at URL. And what we want to do is be able to generate a conversation. Uh, create awareness, not telling people what to do or what choices they need to make. Uh, we're not here to, to, to determine a physician or a, pay, a pharmacist to make a decision. But what we do is want to um, stimulate the debate of the options that are out there uh, to, as I said, find ways to make help them service the patients. Because again, at the end of the day, we all have the same common goal, and that's to improve patients. But from a product standpoint, we want to continue to build 
hopefully over time on our portfolio around certain therapeutic areas. Endocrinology, pain and inflammation are obviously the core ones that we're in now, and we want to continue to offer provide those offerings. Um, but there's other therapeutic areas, and you can obviously go to the IPSA website or ours, and you'll see some of those other therapeutic areas um, that we hope to, to bring forward. Uh, fertility, for example, is a, a big, big area for IPSA um, in Europe. It's not here yet in mm -hmm. the U.S. So we hope that we'll continue to expand slowly but surely in some of those other therapeutic areas. And we surely encourage uh, anybody to go to whether it's the URL website, the IPSA USA website, or the IPSA group website. And uh, anybody who wants to uh, gain confidence, especially as a pharmacist of who we are, especially since we're still relatively new, I think you'd walk away with a sense that uh, this is a company that is commit, committed to quality, uh, continuous innovation, but doing it in the right way, meaning that they don't try to do too much. I think, that, you know, very steady. Yep. Uh, and what they do and that innovation will continue to come, I think, a lot around um, our form factor expertise, you know, areas like injectables, um, trans, excuse me, uh, topical patches, uh, gel caps. Again, going into areas where maybe some of the other companies that are just trying to quickly turn out product versus trying to turn out right product. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I, I like to use that word right because I think that's something that we always have to keep in, a, in, a, in the back of our mind in terms of uh, doing the right thing for patients, doing the right thing for our providers, doing the right thing uh, in terms of the quality and, and manufacturing supply of our products. And that's, you know, that's what I think. Um, it, and you went asked me, you know, why you're out and why you come back. I think that was one of the reasons it was so exciting to join. I've worked, you know, both on the brand side and the generic side in my career. And the last half of my career has been all generic with very large companies. Um, and I'm not saying that they weren't good companies, but what I what I really was excited about IPSA is that um, there was no question about the relative uh, commitment to quality, mm -hmm. uh, the investment they make in their manufacturing and development, um, and and trying to now translate that into our commercial structure so that we can get that out to patients. I think is very exciting. So I think pharmacists should be ultimately. Uh, looking out, um, well, first, we like them to make sure they know who we are yep. and what we're doing today and how that might benefit them um, across those products. And then be assured that our commitment is to try to continue to build upon that uh, slow and steady as we move forward into 24, 25 and beyond. One of the reasons in running into you at the NACDS, which was funny because you and I are from Brownsville, Pennsylvania, and we meet in what what what? city was that in? San Diego. San Diego. Yeah. So it was wonderful to meet you. It was wonderful to talk to you. The reason the reason why I got so excited, not only because of the nostalgia and the serendipitous of meeting you, when you started talking about pain management, that is one of the major focuses for community pharmacists, our long-term care pharmacists who really focus on seniors, our specialty pharmacists who are dealing with treatments that there may be pain in, that comes up, especially like in oncology, for example. So when I started thinking of pain, and pain is all over the map. It could be, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the next with the, with the severity of the actual pain, as well as the interpretation of the actual patient. It's very personal. And in particular, the pain management, the actual management of the pain. So there, there are so many options. Um, Physicians and pharmacists should be in a place that they can make their own decisions. But let's talk about pain management. Non-scheduled um, 
pain management is a topic that many of our pharmacists that are listening are very interested in. How does Ural uh, Pharma contribute to addressing? There's a lot of challenges in being a pharmacist and in, in pain management and improving patient care um, within uh, pharmacies within the communities. Well, I, I think you're certainly right. Uh, you know, pain management is a very complex um, and diverse topic, um, and we can go down a number of different pathways. And I'm I'm not an expert in pain, so it'd be um, not something I would get into in terms of talking about specific treatment modalities, uh, approaches, and things like this. But what I will say is uh, about pain is uh, options are needed, right? Yep. Um, there's no doubt the evidence shows that we've become in the U.S. in particular dependent on a certain forms of pain management. Um, that's evolving. Obviously, the government has done a lot to change that and to remove some of the dependencies on certain forms. Um, and I think that's what's exciting about what we do have is every every individual's different. Um, everybody's pain is different. Their interpretation of the pain is different. So I think that. Um, when we think about what we're doing is we're offering one of those solutions. And what we hope is that by uh, pharmacists understanding what we have, um, that gives them greater choice to work with the physician and patient to make the choice, uh, the right choice for that individual patient. Um, you know, you know, there are systemic pain uh, pathways. There's topical uh, the two primary, obviously. And, and we have a, a, a certain form factor in the topical space and, um, and, you know, certain nationalities and, and people have certain beliefs on topical versus systemic. They have, um, more isolated pain versus more general pain. So when you think about topical patches, um, you know, they serve a purpose. Um, and what we want to make sure at the end of the day, everybody knows exactly, um, what those options are and, what we would love to know is, you know, how pharmacists are dealing with that and how that translates back to information that we can give to ourselves as URAL or to our brand organization to, to be able to help communicate with additional information, whether that be educational material or other things that will allow them to facilitate that process between pharmacist, patient, and physician. So our job is to, to create and provide the information uh, and be ready to support them uh, through our medical affairs and medical communications. Um, but uh, the most important thing, I think, is that they have to know what the options are. And it's not just the options, I believe, humbly from a therapeutic standpoint, right? Because yeah. pharmacists are smart, doctors are smart, they know the different options, but part of the decision-making in, in, in that pain management, once you get past the important part, which is who the patient is, what the pain is, what are the options, what are choices, is how you actually then help them manage that pain with whatever choice it is. Yeah. And that means there's economics involved. And there's certain choices and trade-offs in terms of access to certain products or cost of certain products. So it's really important for us uh, to help them understand exactly how our products fits in, how uh, our products become accessible. Um, and then again, that I think really sets them up to be able to help provide guidance in, in with um, you know the physician or patient to decide what's best for them. And if that choice is ours, then you know, we're happy to be an organization that has a product that, that can service that. So our number one job is to make sure that we uh, manufacture high quality products, that those products work as they're supposed to work, um, that we can ensure the uh, st stability of supply, and that um, 
from uh, the distribution down to the pharmacist uh, are well aware and have access to that product. And if we do that well, then I think we're doing our job. And then to back to your original point is how do we then build upon that in terms of innovation, new products? So, you know, our aspirations will be to hopefully continue to build in the area of pain and inflammation because it is such an important and, and uh, uh, challenging area. Uh, so every time you can bring a new solution to it, that gives another option to, you know, to redefine, you know, the overall pain management profile, but uh, there's a lot that goes involved in it. And that's, um, and that's only going to be serviced by people understanding how um, they can decide what is the right choice or pathway for them. Excellent. So we're excited that you're part of this, because like I said, we've had a vested interest in different sectors of pharmacy where pain management comes in either as the primary or as a secondary condition and uh, pharmacists are the best at managing comorbid situations where multiple medications are in place and in play because of um, interactions that could take place and different things that are happening. So it's exciting that you're here. We can't wait to hear some of the other interviews that we have planned with URL uh, Pharma. Um, we're going to do some mashups with some other of our podcasters. By the way, if you are listening right now and you are an expert, if you are a pain expert, you are a pharmacist that's interested in this and you'd like to partner up or network or, or build um, a relationship with your Al Pharma, please do so. Um, Stephen, what is the best way that a listener that says, wow, I have some questions for Stephen or I have some questions for the URL team, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, I mean, you can always go to our website, um, which is uralpharma.com. And uh, on there, there will be all the contact information. Uh, we have 800 number. We have ways to communicate through uh, that message. And that usually can go through um, our uh, website. And then you can contact it either by phone or by other communications, and that will go to our medical uh, uh, customer service, medical affairs area, and then they vet those questions out. And as a result, then uh, it'll get to the right people. That's uralpharma.com. That's Y-A-R-A-L pharma.com. Just for our listeners, by the way, that will be in our show notes. Um, it'll be easily accessible. Um, I want to thank you, Stephen, for um, being here in the Pharmacy Podcast Network studios we are looking for, uh, forward to uh, future podcasts and conversations with you. Um, any last words before we wrap it up? No, again, uh, you know, Todd, it's, you know, it's always uh, a fun situation when you meet new people. And it was great that our paths crossed in San Diego earlier this or this past year in 23. Um, and I believe that what you've done and what the, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is doing is a, a fantastic platform um, to reach out to a very important segment of our, 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 our process of medical care. Yeah. And, um, and so congratulate you for all the success you Thank guys you. had. We're, we're glad to be a part of it. As I said, you've created a platform that allows for dialogue and exchange of information. And um, I always share with our team that, you know, one of our jobs every day is to, is to build knowledge capital. Um, to, and, and we do that by, you know, every team member participates in what we do so that whether you're on the sales side or on the uh, marketing side or on a regulatory side, we always are trying to exchange that information and, and bring up the overall quality and critical thinking that we have in our organization. And I think your your platform is doing that for pharmacists. And um, at the end of the day, for a generic company, you know, when we look at all our customers, which we have many, you know, we still believe, and that's why we're making the time and commitment to really focus on 
on pharmacy because it's such a pivotal point. Yep. Um, and generics, that's where a lot of generic flows and decisions are made. You know, if a product comes in, is, is that product going to be switched to a generic? Um, that pharmacist is many points, the, is the first point when a patient might not be achieving their therapeutic goals or something like that. And, you know, they're the ones that are, in essence, triaging a little bit. Um, so who better to make sure, first and foremost, along with physicians, which our brand side does really well, um, to inform them about our products is to make sure that we're doing everything to help pharmacists. So um, really, really appreciate it. Um, look forward to doing some more. Look forward to be a contributor, a part yeah. of those important topics like pain management. Um, you know, we have also have a very exciting product like levothyroxine and, you know, a product like that we have in terms of a, the uh, having in a capsule form. How do you help those, you know, 10 to, you know, 15% of those patients that are not well tolerated on the, the core treatment uh, paradigm of tablets in, in this particular therapeutic category? And, um, and does that make uh, an option for them? Um, that's what we're searching to create that kind of conversation and let the experts then decide, you know, where those best fit. But I think they all have the same intention at the end of the day is how do we service our, our patients so they get the outcome that they're searching for, they're looking for in the treatments that they're, that they're following. And that's what we like to hopefully do. Excellent. Stephen, thank you for being part of this. Once again, Ural Pharma, that's Y-A-R-A-L, pharma.com. And if there's any questions that you need uh, answered, if there's any connections that you need, please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast Network and I'll get you in touch with Stephen. Stephen, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Diclofenac Dipalamine Topical System 1.3% is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, NSAID, used for acute pain from minor strains, sprains, and bruises in adults and children aged 6 and older. Serious side effects may include increased risk of cardiovascular and gastrointestinal events. NSAIDs can raise the risk of heart attack, stroke, gastrointestinal bleeding, ulceration, and perforation of the stomach and intestines, which can be fatal. The risk for serious cardiovascular events may occur early in the treatment and may increase with duration of use. Elderly patients and those with history of peptic ulcer disease or GI bleeding are at a higher risk for serious GI events. Do not use in patients who are allergic to diclofenac or any of its ingredients or have a history of asthma, urticaria, or other allergic type reactions after taking aspirin or other NSAIDs. Do not use in the setting of coronary artery bypass graft surgery. Avoid use on broken skin. Discontinue immediately if signs of hypersensitivity occur. Patients should be informed about the warning signs and symptoms of liver problems. Discontinue use if abnormal liver tests persist or worsen or if signs of liver disease develop. Avoid using diclofenac dipalamine topical system 1.3% in patients with severe heart failure unless the benefits are expected to outweigh the risks. The common side effects include itching, nausea, and headache. Patients should stop use and consult their doctor at the first sign of skin rash or other signs of sensitivity. Patients should ask their doctor if diclofenac dipalamine topical system 1.3% is right for them. For more information and full prescribing information, including box warning and important safety information, visit www.uralpharma.com. Lidocaine patch 5% is indicated for relief of pain associated with post-herpetic neuralgia, a common complication of shingles. It should only be applied to intact skin. Lidocaine patch 5% is contraindicated in patients with a known history of sensitivity to local anesthetics of the amide type or to any other component of the product. Cases of metema globinema, a rare blood disorder that affects how red blood cells deliver oxygen throughout the body, have been reported in association with local anesthetic use. 
It is important for patients to store and dispose of lidocaine patch 5% out of reach of children, pets, and others. Applying lidocaine patch 5% to larger areas for longer than recommended wearing time could result in increased absorption of lidocaine and high blood concentrations, leading to serious adverse effects. Patients should avoid contact with water, such as bathing, swimming, or showering. Reactions may occur at the site of application. These reactions are generally mild and resolve within a few minutes to hours. Allergic and severe allergic reactions associated with lidocaine, although rare, can occur. Patients with severe hepatic disease are at greater risk of developing toxic blood concentrations of lidocaine because of their inability to metabolize lidocaine normally. Advise patients to discontinue use immediately and seek immediate medical attention if the following signs or symptoms occur. Pale, gray, or blue-colored skin, cyanosis, headache, rapid heart rate, shortness of breath, lightheadedness, or fatigue. Patients should ask their doctor if lidocaine patch 5% is right for them. For more information, including full prescribing information and important safety information, visit uralpharma.com.